What the what is cooking? The WrestleMania main event has been changed, and my 2023 NFL season recap is here, where I discuss my thoughts on all 32 teams in the National Football League heading into the offseason. Ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, children of all ages, this is Tuesday, February 6th. 2024. This is the host of Fucker, the executive producer of Brands World, Brandon Lewis. We are here with you today on a massive Brands World. As always, my social media links are in the description below. We are in collaboration with the one, the only Voltage Live. This is Super Bowl week. And tonight, 6 p.m. Eastern Championship ranks, me and my partner, Josh Unger, in collaboration with Voltage Live, will be debating all things Super Bowl. I cannot wait. Before we get to The Rock, Roman Reigns, the Tribal Chief, the head of the table, the undisputed WWE Universal Champion, the American Nightmare, Cody Rhodes. Today, folks, I will be breaking down the entire 2023 NFL season. I'm going to be taking a look back at my predictions for all 32 teams. I'm going to give you my thoughts on their season and where I think they need to improve in free agency and the draft as the Super Bowl is upon us. And then, of course, on Thursday, we will be breaking down the big game between the AFC champion Kansas City Chiefs and the NFC champion San Francisco 49ers. Now, if you are brand new to the podcast, every single Tuesday during the NFL season, I break down all of the games. And then on Thursdays, I give my next week my money line prediction so that's every single game of the weekend I'll give my pick of who, no matter what the spread is, is going to win the game. Then I pick five games during the regular season, and obviously there is a sample size of less during the postseason, but I'll pick five games a week, and I'll pick the spread on those games of what I call my best bets. This year, I had a very good year in both the money line and best bets. In the regular season this year, in the money line, I went 184 and 88. That puts me at 68% correct at picking games in the money line. Compared to last year, where in the regular season I went 165 and 106. That's only 60%. So that's a 19 game difference in the money line correct category between this year, 2023, and the 2022 NFL season. Best bets, I also improved. Best bets in the regular season, I went 59 for 89 with one push. That puts us at 66% in the regular season. Last year in the regular season, I went 47 for 89 with one push. That puts me at 55% on the year. So again, big difference in best bets from last year and money line compared to this year. And I think one of the reasons this year is because, once again, as we're seeing, uh, this league is so quarterback-centric that if you pick the games most of the time based off the team with who has the better quarterback, you're going to win most of those games. Of course, in the AFC, just by division, Tua Tagovailoa, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson, C.J. Stroud, 
Trevor Lawrence. That's just in the AFC. And that doesn't count, obviously, Aaron Rodgers, who got hurt four snaps into the season. Or a young kid like Anthony Richardson, who got hurt earlier on. Or Deshaun Watson, uh, who was out for most of the season for the Browns. NFC, of course, Jalen Ertz, Dak Prescott, Matthew Stafford, uh, Jared Goff, Jordan Love towards the end of the year, Baker Mayfield towards the end of the year for Tampa. Not as much in the NFC. Um, so that's why the NFC I always felt like was a little bit trickier. Now, I will say, as we start doing these breakdowns today for all 32 NFL teams, basically what I'm not going to do um, is give you, you know, that, that I was wrong on pretty much every single record because I was. Uh, for the most part, predicting record-wise, you know, I was off uh, by at least, you know, two or three games. But I hit on most of the over-unders. Um, and then I'm going to dive into sort of my, my macro sort of thoughts. Because I had a lot of things right this year um, versus wrong. I definitely whipped on a few teams, which you'll see. Uh, but in the macro, I think I was right on a lot of key concepts in the 2023 NFL season. So if it looks like I'm reading a lot of notes, it's because I do have a lot of notes here. Uh, I'm going back to my article as well that I published uh, dating back uh, to the start of this season in September. So we're going to start with the AFC East. And I did pick Buffalo to win the division. Obviously, that was correct. I, I had the over-under at 10.5. They did hit the over. And I said, you know, basically I had the Bills and Dolphins tied for the division at 11-6. and six, But I thought Buffalo, with the injury to Jalen Ramsey, which Miami suffered earlier in the season, I thought Buffalo would be at least one game better, you know, and win that division. Um, you know, the firing of Ken Dorsey, I did not expect. Josh Allen was certainly regressing, and Buffalo looked very topsy-turvy. Obviously, very early on in the season, they did not use James Cook well. Then they make the move to Joe Brady as offensive coordinator. They start running the football. They use Stephon Diggs a lot, but they use Don Kincaid more. Uh, the young tight end they got out of Utah, who's spectacular. And I do think that Buffalo now has a clear vision of what they need to do going forward in the postseason. I think, you know, maybe you get a little bit more involved in the passing game. Gabe Davis is a huge free agent. They're probably going to lose. Um, you know, their offensive line got better throughout the season, which was my big criticism of Sean McDermott entering this season, which I questioned. If Buffalo loses in bad fashion again in the postseason, could McDermott be gone halfway through the season? It very much looked like Sean McDermott would not be back in Buffalo, but he was able to turn it around. Um, Dolphins-wise, you know, Miami, I said it really all comes down to if Tua Tagovailoa stays healthy. I said Miami is a 12 to is a 10 to 12 win team. Uh if it was healthy. And of course, they ended up winning 11 games. They had control of the division for most of the year. Listen, we know what the Dolphins are. Tua Tagovailoa, when he's on time, when he gets his first read out, when he's in rhythm with Mike McDaniel's offense, and we know how great of a play caller Mike McDaniel is. Tua can be a very lethal quarterback, but when you get him off his spot is when he struggles. And we know they have Tyreek Hill. We know they have Jalen Waddle. Devin H. and Raheem Moser really came on this year as running backs. Uh, but Vic Vangio, who is now, of course, the defensive coordinator in Philadelphia, 
which we'll get to. It sounds like a lot of those Miami players were not buying into the Vangio scheme, but it sounds like that was more of a player issue than a coaching issue. Um, I think the Dolphins, you know, obviously they need to upgrade their defensive pass rush a little bit. They're not getting as much pass rush. But the big thing with Miami is going to be next year. We know how explosive they can be in September and October. But when the weather gets cold, when they're playing better teams, um, you know, and was this year an anomaly with Tua Tagovailoa's injury history? Because he's had a lot of injuries in his career, even dating back to his time in college at Alabama. So if Tua is healthy, obviously we know the Dolphins team is right there with Buffalo in the AFC East. The question's going to be, can they go outside and play with the likes of a Baltimore, of a Kansas City? Now, the Jets. Uh, I had them at 10 wins going into this year, and that was with a healthy Aaron Rodgers. Uh, but I said, you know, and this is obviously before Aaron Rodgers went down four snaps into the season. Their schedule was brutal. I mean, the first six weeks they had Buffalo, Dallas, New England, uh, which Zach Wilson ended up being a loss. Kansas City, which was early in the year. You know, Denver, who who looked like a disaster at the beginning of the year. And then, obviously, Philadelphia. And I said, you know, a 2-4 and four start is realistic. And they ended up going 3-3 three and three in those six games. So, you know, I thought the addition of Dalvin Cook would be a lot more. And, again, maybe because of the Aaron Rodgers injury. Um, you know, they just decided not to use him. You know, obviously, he ended up going to Baltimore in the postseason. I think Brees Hall, once he came back from his injury, uh, was clearly their best player on offense, even more so than Garrett Wilson, who just obviously did not have the connection, you know, with Zach Wilson or, you know, another whoever quarterback they were throwing out there. Uh, we know the Jets have a great defense. We know their offensive line is horrible. We know they need to go in the draft and they need to get off tackle. Uh, I think they need another wide receiver outside of Garrett Wilson. I think they need to upgrade it tight end. I don't think Aquin's the solution. So the Jets have a great defense. You know, they have two great corners. They have two great linebackers. They have a great defensive line with waves of talent. You can make an argument the Jets do not need to draft a defensive player. You can make an argument they need to draft two offensive linemen, a receiver, two tight ends, another back. Uh, and spend all their capital and free agency on offense as they migrate here with Aaron Rodgers. In a tough AFC East, uh, the Jets, to me, are still, even with Aaron Rodgers, the third best team in their division. Then we have New England. And you take a look at the schedule for New England. I said it was absolutely brutal. I said this is not the old Patriots. This is Belichick as opposed Brady. Uh, they're a boring team built on culture and almost no talent offensively. Uh, they replaced Jacoby Myers with a Juju Smith-Schuster, who, you know, was an injury with a wide receiver. He only had one very good NFL season with Mahomes throwing him passes. And then, obviously, Devontae Parker, who over the last three years and continuing into this year, uh, had the worst separation rate in man coverage in the National Football League. You know, Bill O'Brien was an upgrade over Matt Patricia. I said he's no genius. Um, I said Belichick is doing to the Patriots what people do to companies when they want to sabotage them. Um, obviously, we'll see what Gerard Mayo can do with this team. I think this is a massive repo. They just brought in Alex Van Pelt, former Browns OC, as their new OC. Um, you know, the schedule they faced this year, they had to face Tua twice, 
Josh Allen twice, and they ended up defeating once somehow. Um, you know, Jalen Ertz in Philly week one, Dak early in the season, Justin Herbert of the Chargers, uh, Patrick Mahomes they had to face. Um, they had to go against the Saints and Derek Carr. They had to go against, um, you, you know, some some other weak quarterbacks that they couldn't even beat, like Sam Ow, uh, Gardner Minshew. I mean, Tommy DeVito, Mitch Trubisky, and that was, you know, off a list that should have been Anthony Richardson, Kenny Pickett, and Daniel Jones. So, New England had a horrible year. Uh, they did have some injuries on the defense side. Christian Gonzalez was a promising rookie. He got hurt. Matthew Judon obviously got hurt. Yet, despite that, New England still, three times this year, gave up 10 points or less and lost all three games. Their offense is a complete rebuild. We'll see if AVP can do it. Uh, they need to move on Mac Jones. Again, we'll see. Is it going to be Jaden McDaniels? Is it going to be Bo Nix, who I really like out of Oregon? Reminds me a lot of Justin Herbert. It, would it be a J.J. McCarthy? Would it be a Michael Penix? I mean, after Drake May, there's a lot of options for New England. I would not go after Marvin Harrison Jr., as special as he is. Uh, and as much as New England needs weapons, I think you go out in free agency. I think you get yourself some receivers, some tight ends, all like Jacksonville did a couple of years ago with Doug Peterson when they loaded up uh, with Trevor Lawrence on his rookie deal. I think you draft a quarterback. Again, I think the defense is pretty good. You know, some Belichick players will probably move out of there. Gerard Mayo is a good leader of men. Uh, but I don't wish this project on anybody because I think it's a complete rebuild. And in the AFC, I think there's a scenario where New England is once again looking at a potential number one overall pick next year. Let's get to the AFC West. So for Kansas City, I had them going 13-4. and four. Now, obviously, it was not perfect. Their over-under was 11.5. They actually went under that mark. Um, you know, I said they're going to lose games. You know, Super Bowl champions always lose games. It's not extra perfect uh, for the entire year, even though we all think that it will be. Um, but I did not expect them to struggle as much as they did early on in the season. And, you know, I did not expect them. You know, I thought Rasheed Rice, the rookie, would come in and take over that Juju Smith-Schuster role, which he has. But it took him a lot later in the season to do so. Obviously, the storyline of the offseason was Chris Jones, who did come back after their week one loss to the Lions. We'll see if he'll be back next year. With Jerry Sneed is a great owner who they've developed over the last couple of years, making the Kansas City defense at this point uh, as good as their offense. Um, and, you know, Isaiah Pacheco has really came on the scene. I think Pacheco and Rasheed Rice have been their game savers offensively because there were many times this year where Travis Kelsey just did not look as explosive. And again, who knows if that's the Taylor Swift effect or not, uh, if it's just old age, whatever you will. But Kelsey did not look the same for the most of the year, though he has had a great postseason. There is a reason why Kansas City is back in the Super Bowl again. And if the Chiefs win this Super Bowl, is there a world where Travis Kelsey retires? Yes. Is there a world where Andy Reid retires? Yes. Now, a lot of people speculate if Reid retires, Bill Belichick would fill in the role. I don't think so. I think it's a lot like Belichick to Gerard Mayo. I think Matt Nagy has a deal in place where he would become the new head coach. And I was always a big defender of Matt Nagy in Chicago. He got Mitch Trubisky to the playoffs. 
Uh, obviously, you know, uh, Kansas City, I think at this point, is a dynasty, though. My partner, Josh Unger, disagrees with that. He thinks they need to go back-to-back -back, uh, to win a championship, but I disagree. When you've had six straight AFC championship games, third title in five years, potentially, that would be a dynasty, and arguably, next to the NHL, the hardest sport uh, to win a championship in, in the NFL. I mean, it's 53 guys. It's long, brutal practice from the June mini camp to July training camp, August preseason. September, you're getting to know who you are. October, you're starting to get to know who you are. And then Thanksgiving is when the real football starts. That is a long, brutal five to six month process. Um, and football is hard. As I mentioned, 53 guys are practicing every day or watching it on a tape unlike the NBA, Major League Baseball, and the NHL. So I give Kansas City a lot of credit for continuing the dynasty. Uh, their schedule was was difficult. Uh, it was a little more difficult than I anticipated. But again, in the end, they're right back to where they should be. And that is in the Super Bowl. Okay. We all knew going into the season, the Los Angeles Chargers had a heck of a coach in Brandon Staley. And we all knew he should have been fired after the Jacksonville debacle a year ago. With that being said, I add them at 10-7, and, and their over-under was 9.5, and, and I add them with the over because I just thought, you know, Justin Herbert would be able to overcome it. And they switched out um, Joe Lombardi at OC for Ellen Moore. I thought, you know, Ellen Moore was a top offensive play caller uh, in the league. I thought Ellen Moore would take over for Brandon Staley midway for the year when the Chargers would find a way to lose games again. But really, the story of this Chargers team uh, was Eckler, Allen, Mike Williams, Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, all missing time, big time with injuries. Their offense did not look the same even four or five games into the season. J.C. Jackson turned out to be a total bust of a free agency signing, and the Sunday Samuel Jr. didn't do much on the back end. So this Chargers team, now they obviously have Jim Harbaugh. And I love the hire. I defended Jim Harbaugh when he was at Michigan going through what I believe was a BS scandal uh, last season as they just rode for Ohio State and took out Alabama and took out Washington on their way to a national championship. I think this is exactly what Justin Herbert needs. You know, Jim is an offensive-minded coach, but he's not necessarily an offensive guy. You know, he doesn't call plays. He's more of the CEO type coach. But what he is, he brings out a leader of men. And even though you got to go through Kansas City in this division, and we'll see what Vegas does at the QB position, and we'll see what Denver does at the QB position. You have Justin Herbert, who, in my opinion, is an up six, seven signal caller still in the sport. Austin Eckler is a great running back, but you could move off Austin Eckler. I think he's going to be a free agent here and try to get another back, maybe potentially in the draft. Um, you know, maybe you move off Khalil Mack, who's had a lot of injury history, to save some cap on defense. Keenan Allen and Mike Williams being back will be huge for the offense. And so the Chargers have some cap manipulating to do, but they're going to have a top, you know, I believe four or five pick in this NFL draft. And all the teams, obviously, we talked about how this uh, year in the NFL is loaded roster-wise with quarterbacks in the draft. There's going to be a very QB-heavy draft. There's also going to be a very top-heavy left tackle draft. And obviously, some wide receivers are going to drop on the board, as they always do. 
with the Chargers of the first round pick washer Quinn Johnson, who got better throughout the season. They don't need a left tackle. Obviously, Rashawn Slater's a stud. We know they don't need a quarterback, and I would argue they don't need a receiver, though I think they can get a tight end either in free agency or later in the draft. The Chargers are going to be a prime trade-down candidate in the draft for one of these teams that need to jump up and get a quarterback. And and I doubt they do it in their own division, even though they both are going to need a quarterback, in my opinion. Uh, But they are a a classic trade-down team, get more picks. And Jim Arbaugh, who recruited a lot of players, obviously, at Michigan, is going to know a lot about the draft. I could see them using the draft to build up that defense. And I think the Chargers, you know, we we always take a look at a team who, you know, from one year to the next takes a massive leap. I think the Chargers are that candidate next year. How about the Denver Broncos? I said it cannot get any worse last year when Nathaniel Ackett was completely over his head like Freddie Kitchens was in Cleveland. Uh, the Russell Wilson, the Denver story, became the laughing stock of the week a year ago. So Sean Payton tries to fix Russell Wilson. And I said going into the year, I don't think Russell Wilson is washed. But I also don't think he's the caliber of player he was in the Pacific Northwest either. And he's easily the third best QB in his division. Both those takes have stood up. I said the roster is good. We obviously, you know, like the receiving core. Offensive line is decent. They had good backs. Patrick Sertan, Justin Simmons in the secondary. But I said some O's up front in the defensive line with Von Miller and Bradley Chubb weaving over the last few years is where they're weak at. And I was proven right on that as well. For the record, their over-under was 8.5. I picked the over. They finished a 9. Obviously, they got off to that horrid start. Gave up 70 to Miami. But Sean Payne did not fire uh, defensive coordinator Vance Joseph. He stayed the court. They put in a lot of younger guys. They, they were able to turn it around. But I said, if you watch Denver, um, it was clear that that, you know, while Russell Wilson and good stat-wise, he was really managing the game. A lot of short passes, uh, not doing much. It was more running the football, play action, playing good defense, not putting up a lot of points and manipulating the clock. Um, You know, I thought Mike McGlinchey would help the offensive line. He had a lot of penalties this year. Uh, I said it would be hard for Sean Payton to come in year one and get Denver to the postseason, especially considering the multitude of injuries they had at training camp, which you remember Judy got hurt in camp, as well as KJ Amler and Tim Patrick were out for the year in camp. I said they need another corner opposite of Patrick Sertan, and they need some anchors on both lines, which, again, is completely right. Somewhere between seven and nine wins, which, again, they got eight, with optimism going into year two of the Peyton era for Denver. Now, this all hinges on what will they do, obviously, with Russell Wilson. That's the biggest question for the Broncos this year. I don't know if Denver can move off Sean uh, Russell Wilson, though the benching at the end of the year, obviously, for Jared Stidham. We know they want to. We know they're going to try. Um, the question, again, is going to be out of the quarterbacks in that draft. Which quarterbacks do they like? And Sean Payton, who has only had a rookie quarterback start once in his whole career. That was Kendall Inn during the COVID year uh, when the Saints did not have, um, obviously, a quarterback at that point um, due to all the COVID issues. We will see. 
And in my opinion, Denver, it all hinges on them getting a quarterback. So let's go to Vegas. I said Vegas is one of the weirdest teams in the whole week, and I still think that. They have foundational pieces. I love Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, Michael Myers' weapons. I like Max Crosby. Uh, now, the Chandler Jones situation, I think their passers would have been better if Chandler Jones didn't go off and have CTE. Uh, Irene Wilson had to step up. He did not do as great as I thought he would. Cole Miller, the tackle, was a really foundational piece. So, as I've talked about a lot with the Raiders, left tackle, check. Weapons, check. Including Josh Jacobs, by the way, a running back who Antonio Pierce now wants to build around. And obviously, you know, going into this year, they add Josh McDaniels. Pass rush, in my opinion, check. What they need is a quarterback. And I said, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo barely passed his physical. Josh Jacobs was not showing up to training camp. Devontae Adams wants out. The whole deal surrounding the departure of Derek Carr. And I thought the Raiders, you know, Caleb Williams would appeal to them. I thought they would just tank and win three, four games and try to get the number one pick. And I think they were going to. Josh McDaniels was the coach. And then Antonio Pierce changed the whole culture around. Aiden O'Connell, who was a fourth-round pick in the draft, uh, is not great. Obviously, did not complete a pass for the first quarter in that game that they defeated Kansas City. We know the Raiders need a quarterback. They hired Cliff Kingsbury as their offensive coordinator. They know what they need. A lot of the players bought into Antonio Pierce. Now, they need to fix their secondary. I will say that. Their linebackers and corners and safeties are arguably atrocious, uh, which has been the Raiders' problem over the last few years. But the weapons are there. Maybe you go on a free agency, you get another offensive lineman. But I think you need to spend free agency and part of the draft on just boosting up that secondary and a few more defensive and offensive linemen. I don't think you need to draft, you know, some other weapons. I like Myers. I like Renfro. I like Myers, the tight end, as I mentioned. The focus needs to be on the offensive lines and going to get that quarterback. And if that quarterback works with Cliff Kingsbury. I have said about this NFL coaching hire, there were five defensive coaches hired during this cycle. Obviously, Gerard Mayo with New England, Antonio Pierce with the uh, Raiders. Then you have Dan Quinn with the Commanders, Raheem Morris with the Falcons, and Mike McDonald with the Seahawks. All of those teams that hired defensive coordinators as head coaches. And last year, we saw with D'Amico Ryans, the head coach in Houston. Defensive coaches can work as head coaches. If you get a star-studded offensive coordinator who is the CEO of the offense. What I see now in the National Football League is this league has become more quarterback-centric. Is offensive coaches tend to work better with young quarterbacks. Perfect example is Jordan Love and Green Bay, which we'll get to when, when we get to that division. Um, but... You can win with a defensive coach if you have a star-studded OC like D'Amico Ryan Ted with Bobby Sloan. Now we get to the AFC North. And I picked Cincinnati to go 13-4. and four. I love them going into the year. And Joe Burrow was hurt in training camp. So this is what I said about Cincinnati. I said they are the number one contenders to Kansas City in the AFC, which, again, was obviously a whiff. But I said, with number nine as their signal caller, there's nothing to not like about Burrow. 
And I said, since Burrow has recovered from the knee injury he suffered during the 2020 season, the Bengals have been to two AFC title games against Kansas City and one Super Bowl. Now, they did lose Jesse Bates and Eli Apple in the secondary, but I said, Lou and Amaro is still one of the best defensive coordinators in the game. I said, they may not have the biggest names in the world, but their defense is solid. Here's the key on what I stated about Cincinnati. As long as Burrow is healthy, the Bengals are legitimate Super Bowl contenders and should be the favorites in the top AFC North. And by the way, they were gaining momentum until Burrow got hurt against Baltimore and it pretty much ruined their entire season. Now, the big question for Cincinnati this year is obviously, can they bring back T. Higgins? Uh, I don't know if they're going to. T. Higgins is going to command huge money on the open market. If I'm Cincinnati, if you even have to give up a pass rusher and Trey Anderson, um, maybe you go out and do it. But I am not passing up on the opportunity to have Jamar Chase, T. Higgins. If you have to let Boyd go or Mixon go, you can do that. Um, but obviously, I think Joe Burrow, which is a different player, with both of those wide receivers out there. Burrow's injury history now does concern me for Cincinnati. I think their defense is fine. It's not great. They're fine. They can spend... You know, I again, Luan Romo is a very good defensive coordinator. They can spend time and resources in the draft on getting another corner or another pass rush. I like Sam Hubbard a lot. I believe he's still there for one more year. Uh, Cincinnati needs to figure out what they're going to do with T. Higgins, and they need to make sure Joe Burrow is healthy. I suspect they let Joe Mixon go. They use a draft pick, a third, fourth round pick on a running back. Uh, because this, this is my argument with Cleveland and Nick Chubb. If you're paying your quarterback that much money, you don't need a great running back because the quarterback is going to touch the ball most of the time. Now, I will say this about Baltimore. I, I love the Ravens going into this year. And I said in March, it felt the majority of the NFL offseason drama was going to cover the Baltimore Ravens and what they were going to do with their young quarterback, Lamar Jackson, who's talented, but if you remember, he was injured at the end of the season each of the last two years, and he reportedly wanted to be paid more than what the Browns gave to Sean Watson. Jackson, remember, even tweeted he had requested a trade from the organization. Wild to look at this five months later and think this is what we're talking about when it comes to the MVP of the National Football League this year. Soon after the Eagles gave Jalen Hurts his extension, the Ravens inked Jackson to a five-year, $260 million deal. And I said, along with the return of Jackson, Baltimore not only parted ways with offensive coordinator Greg Roman, who obviously helped Jackson win the 2019 MVP, Todd Munkin was named the new OC, and his pedigree is more pass-happy than run. But with the additions of Odell Beckham, along with Zay Flowers, the first-round pick in the draft, Mark Andrews, Rashad Bateman, Devin Duvernay, the Ravens have assembled a boatload of offensive talent, not to mention J.K. Dobbins, who obviously got her week one, Gus Edwards in the running back room, and then obviously uh, they found Justice Hill as well once J.K. Dobbins went down. I said, the Ravens will score points. The question is, can they stop anybody? And what did that turn out to be? Mike McDonald turned the defense around in one year. Listen, last year they were the only NFL team owed a double-digit advantage for the first 10 games of the year, and they blew three of them. The same problem was for the first 10 games of this season, the 2023 NFL season. 
But I said Baltimore may be one of the most underrated teams in the week. This is what I talk about macro level stuff. Because again, I picked them to go 11 and 6. Their over under on the year was nine and a half. Obviously, they went over. So they were better than I thought they would be. But when I talk about macro stuff, big picture stuff, this is what I'm talking about. I said they're a playoff team with Lamar and they're unwatchable without him. We saw that. I said, I'm going to be optimistic for Ravens this year and say Jackson and crew stay healthy. And if they do, they could be one of the most dangerous teams in the National Football League. Once again, right, right, right. Let's go to Pittsburgh, who their over-under was set at eight and a half, and I nailed their win total, ladies and gentlemen, at 10 and 7. And I said for the last two years, the 2021 season, the 2022 season, I predicted Mike Tomlin to finally have a losing record. Yet to happen, and I'm done doubting the Steelers. They're a completely different team when T.J. Watt plays. Here's the stat. Since 2017, they're 59-26-2 when he plays and 1-10 when he sits going into this season. I said, after looking like a rookie early in 2022, Kenny Pickett started developing and played good football down the stretch, helping lead Pittsburgh to a 6-2 record in the back half of the season. Is their roster much better than Cleveland, Baltimore, and Cincinnati's? No, but is their coaching? Yes, the schedule is pretty favorable. There's a world where this season, Tomlin finishes under 500 at either 7 or 8, but there's also a world where they finish with 9 or 10 and try to sneak into the postseason, which they obviously did. I said, I'll take the ladder. Again, macro stuff on it. I was right. I did not suspect Kenny Pickett to regress. I did not uh, suspect them to fire uh, their, their offensive coordinator, which obviously was a disaster, uh, who at this point uh, I am completely forgetting. Obviously, they they brought in uh, Mike Sullivan to be their OC, and they were rotating with, with, you know, Mitch Trubisky and Mason Rudolph at the end of the year. Despite that, the Steelers did win 10 games. And George Pickens, he may be a little bit of a diva, and I think he's more of a number two than a number one, and I personally think Deontay Johnson is more of a slot number three than a number two wide receiver. Uh, and I like their offensive line, which got better throughout the season. Jalen Ward opted as a running back. He's better than Najee Ayers at this point. And we all know what that Steeler defense looks like. Joe Burrow is going to be healthy again next year, we assume. Lamar Jackson, hopefully he stays healthy again. We're assuming Deshaun Watson will be healthy for the Browns. With all that being said, the Steelers need an upgraded quarterback. And where are they going to get it? I have no idea. Uh, because this is the Steelers brand. It's old. It's outdated. It's defensive-driven. It's ultra-driven. And you can win 8, 9, 10 games with good defense and good coaching and marginal quarterback play. Did you watch the game against Buffalo? I know Buffalo won them back in the game, in the wild-card game in the fourth quarter, but the first three quarters, it wasn't even close. I've been saying for years, I like Mike Tomlin, but the Steelers' brand needs a repivot. They need to focus and go all in offensively. Now that they have Arthur Smith as their offensive coordinator, I don't know how the marriage is going to work. You know, Arthur Smith was a disaster in Atlanta, but he does use a lot of different running backs. He does use a lot of tight ends, which are two of the Steelers' strengths. I suspect them to be a running football team next year. Uh, 
I don't know what the quarterback's going to be. I suspect them to be competitive. But again, they are nowhere near the Super Bowl level Steelers that they were when they had the big three in Big Ben, Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell. All right, Browns. I said Cleveland is almost the opposite of Pittsburgh and Baltimore. I like the roster, but I have questions about the coach and the quarterback because Kevin Savansky entered this year on the hot seat. And I said new defensive coordinator Jim Schwartz coaching Cleveland as a special teams coordinator during the Belichick years. I said he will get the Browns defense back on track, which he did at home. The Browns were historic at home. I think they gave up only 10 points a game this year at home during the regular season. They just could not stop anybody on the road. I thought Miles Garrett was going to have the best year of his career. And up to about three-fourths away from the season, I was right on that. Then he tailed off towards the end of the season. I said the Browns can most certainly be a 2023 playoff team. But they have to prove it. The schedule is not easy. I said three of the first four games are in the division with a game against Tennessee sandwich in week three. If you remember, they had Cincinnati at Pittsburgh, then they had Tennessee, and then they hosted Baltimore. I said they have to go two and two at least for the first month to give themselves a chance, which they did. Then I said the big stretch in the middle of the season during weeks 10 through 14 may decide their season. They were at Baltimore versus the Steelers at Denver at the Rams, and versus Jacksonville. I had them going 2-3 and three over the period, but I said a reversal of that may be enough to put them into the playoffs, and they did reverse that. They beat Baltimore. Remember that game Deshaun Watson threw in the second half? He was picture-perfect passing, and then he tore his shoulder in that game. Uh, they ended up beating Pittsburgh in a low-scoring game. Then they lost to Denver and the Rams, but they rebounded against Jacksonville with an Allen Trevor Lawrence, to get them, obviously, to 11-6, and six, which, again, their over-under on the year was set at 9.5. I had them going under, so, again, I missed it, but I had them going over 500. Cincinnati finished over 500. Baltimore finished over 500. Pittsburgh finished over 500, and so did Cleveland. So I was wrong on the order in the micro level. But once again, in the macro level, where I predicted all four teams in the AFC North will finish above 500, they did. This is the toughest division in all of football. And again, entering this year, we didn't even know what the Joe Flacco story would look like. But the bottom line is, for the Cleveland Browns, Joe Flacco is not your quarterback next year. Deshaun Watson is. Nick Chubb will be back. Now, they are going to have a new offensive coordinator. Ken Dorsey comes in replacing Alex Van Pelt. That was reportedly not a Kevin Stefanski decision, which concerns me a little bit if you're a Browns fan from an ownership perspective. I feel like this offense needs to tilt more towards Deshaun Watson. I've been making the argument for years. The Browns need to trade Nick Chubb. And the reason why I made that argument is because if you're paying Deshaun Watson the 230 million that you're paying him fully guaranteed, the ball is going to be in his hands, and this is a more passing progressive league, and they need to get more passing progressive. David Njoku had a career year at tight end. And the offensive line, yes, they lost Bill Callahan, who is now going uh, to work with his son Brian in Tennessee as he became the new head coach there. Uh, but Joe Batonio was hurt at, at the end of the year. They they lost, obviously, Jack Ockman early. They lost Jedrick Wills. 
Wyatt Teller by the end of the year was the last man standing on that OI. So they should be healthy and better. You need to go out and get a number two wide receiver. They traded DPJ at the deadline of the Lions. They need to get a number two wide receiver outside of Amari Cooper. David Bell is not that guy. Elijah Moore is not that guy. And I'm talking to compliment Njoku at the tight end spot. Defensively, they're set. Jim Schwartz is back. Uh, I think that they will sort of beef up the linebacking core and maybe get some better depth and some backup defensive linemen and defensive ends in the draft. But this whole story now is built on Deshaun Watson. And if the Browns struggle next year, which they should not, even though their home schedule is absolutely brutal, they should be a playoff team. But if they struggle, don't be surprised if we're right back in the same situation next year talking about Stefanski, even though he did get the Browns to the playoffs by starting five different quarterbacks this season. It is a week-to-week, year-to-year league. Okay, my Jacksonville pick at the start of the year looks so good. They started 8-3, and three, and then Lawrence got hurt, and their defense fell apart, and they collapsed down the stretch. I said, in Peterson's second year in Philly, the birds went all the way. I don't think Peterson's track record will mirror what he did in the city of brotherly love. But the Jags are by far the best team in the South and should take another leap this year. Again, that looked right early in the season. Uh, obviously, the injury to Trevor Lawrence killed their season. Doug Peterson now enters this season on the odd spot. You know, I think their offensive line needs a little bit of improvement, but I don't think their offense is not necessarily that bad. Trayvon Walker has not been great as the number one pick out of Georgia. Uh, Josh Allen is a pretty good as an edge rusher. They brought uh, in the former Falcons defensive coordinator now to be their D.C. They need to get a whole new secondary, right? Whole new corners, another edge opposite of Josh Allen. Pretty much their defense needs to be completely rebuilt. Well, the offense, I think, needs to tend more to a Travis Etienne, uh, Evan Ingram type offense. Now, Calvin Ridley, I thought, was going to be spectacular for Jacksonville. I think we all loved him uh, going there after he was suspended, obviously, for gambling in Atlanta. He did not make the impact in as many games we thought he would. When he was on, he was spectacular. Uh, when he wasn't, he, he was a disappointment. So, Jacksonville, one of the major disappointments to end the year. But again, in the macro level, when we talk about the division, I liked Indianapolis to get eight wins. Their over-under was six and a half. I said, give me the over. Because I said, you know, I love the addition of Eagles offensive coordinator Shane Steichen as a head coach. I loved Anthony Richardson out of Florida. I said, who's raw? He has a ton of potential. I said, I believed in Richardson. I thought Steichen was the perfect coach for him. And then Anthony Richardson did not finish a game this season that he started for the Colts. And this is what I said about Gardner Minshew. I said, you can win games with Gardner Minshew. But, you, you know, I think uh, Richardson's going to take over pretty quickly here and be the star for Indianapolis. But I thought Gardner Minshew would be a good backup. Uh, I like their defensive pieces, even though Shaq Warner got cut in the middle of the year. DeForest Buckner, Kenny Moore leading that group. Michael Pittman had a resurgence of the year at wide receiver. And their offensive line, which was injured the previous year, stayed healthy for most of the year. So I said, 
Um, you know, the Colts will give them does momentum going into 2024. Um, uh, I did not know I thought it was gonna be order Rocky early. I thought they get better during the year. I did not know if they were gonna be a playoff team or not, but I think this team certainly has major momentum going into next year. Okay, Houston. This is what I wrote about the Texans. I said, you may think I'm crazy, but the 2023 Houston Texans will be a competent team that will win games in the AFC. Not only did they drop C.J. Stroud out of Ohio State, but they immediately traded up and secured Will Anderson out of Alabama. I said, new head coach D'Amico Ryan is a former Texan who will bring leadership to a team that desperately needs it. They have ball players all over their roster. I said, Houston is a legitimate team in 2023. Winning seven games doesn't seem like a reach. Then obviously, they turn around. C.J. Stroud is better than we thought. They win 10 games. With Jacksonville's collapse, they win the division. I'm going to take a right on this. Again, even though I was wrong record-wise, micro picture, I only picked them to win seven games. Macro picture, when everybody was picking them to win three or four, I said they could win seven or eight. They could be a sneaky wildcard team. C.J. Stroud was better than I thought. Will Anderson was better than I thought. Tank Dell was better than I thought. Nico Collins emerged. Devin Stingley emerged. A great defensive core. All that went out right for Houston. Their future is bright. Now, Tennessee entering the year. Their over-under was 7.5, and, and I said easily take the under. Now, they finished 6-11. I had them at 7-10. Pretty close. But I said... The addition of DeAndre Hopkins gave Tennessee a better outlook by a game or two, which I thought, you know, he probably won them a game. But outside of Hopkins and Derrick Henry, I don't love the team. Ryan Dino's a dinosaur. Will Levis, who I did not love coming out of college, I thought he, he was immature. Uh, I thought he was more gun show ripped than caring about playing the quarterback position. And Tennessee, uh, apparently Malik Willis just can't play. So... Yeah, Kevin Byer, do they trade away the trade deadline? Obviously, the Philadelphia. Outside of him and Justin Simmons, the defense did not have a lot of talent. I said Tennessee is essentially New England with a younger Belichick and Mike Vrabel. Did they not look like that for most of the season? They'll win games because they're good coaching. But if you're asking me who in the AFC South I'm least optimistic about heading into the season, it's the Titans. Once again, boom, macro level, correct. They did fire Mike Rabel, which I absolutely defended. Now, Brian Callahan, I don't know if he's going to work as a head coach. But all this talk about, oh, Mike Rabel was a very good coach. Tennessee should not fire him. Mike Rabel never got the quarterback right in Tennessee. They were rotating with Dinosaur Ryan Dino, as I mentioned, Will Levis, who was a disaster, and Malik Willis, who was a disaster. And once they got rid of A.J. Brown, which I will say this, was not Mike Rabel's fault. But going into last year, Tennessee's offense looks completely different. Their only year they had success, which, by the way, was Arthur Smith as their offensive coordinator, was when they had A.J. Brown, when they had a, still a prime Julio Jones opposite of A.J. Brown after he left Atlanta, when they could not stack the box against Derrick Henry, and Ryan Tannehill was making great throws off play-action passes. That was the formula for Tennessee. They completely lost that formula, and this team to me, even though obviously Bill Callahan will come in and rebuild the offensive line, which their offensive line is atrocious. They may need five new starters on the offensive line. 
This team next to New England, to me, these are going to be the two worst teams in the AFC. This is a complete rebuild. I don't think Will Levis is the answer. I've said this multiple times, but I think a lot like Washington last year where they said, let's see what we have in Sam Howell. I think NSC is going to make a mistake and say, let's see what we have in Will Levis. DeAndre Hopkins is old. I get it uh, that he's still, you know, in name only a very good receiver. Probably a number two now, not necessarily a number one wide receiver. You need to get rid of Derrick Henry. There were reports out there he was close to being traded to Baltimore at the trade deadline. I would have made that deal. I would have traded away Derrick Henry two years ago if I was the Tennessee Titans. This team needs a complete reset. You know, Burks, even the first round pick from a couple years ago, they traded away A.J. Brown to draft. He has not been great as a receiver. They need a completely new offensive line, completely new receiving core, completely new defensive line, completely new quarterback. I mean, New England has better pieces on defense at this point than Tennessee. If New England gets the quarterback right, which they're in a better position to draft one than Tennessee, Tennessee, I would make an argument, is in a weaker division because Buffalo and Miami and, you know, Aaron Rodgers could pop off and the Jets could have a great year. I think it's a better outlook overall than a Jacksonville where Doug Peterson's on the odd seat or an Indianapolis where Shane Steichen is still building. You know, Houston and Bobby Slowick, I think they're going to be really good next year. Then I think Bobby Slowick will take a head coaching position. So the AFC South got better all of a sudden in the last couple of years. It's still not great. I think this is going to be a long rebuild, though, for the Tennessee Titans. So my AFC wildcard predictions, I add the playoff teams as follows. I add um, Kansas City, which was right. Cincinnati, wrong. Jacksonville, wrong. Buffalo, right. And again, I'm not talking to Division Wildcard. I'm talking about these are the teams I like. Baltimore was right. Miami was right. Jets were wrong. So I add Jets, Jacksonville, Cincinnati, all wrong. What take away the teams I thought were in the hunt? Pittsburgh. They actually got in. Let's just say, for sake of argument, they got in over Cincinnati. The Chargers was the team I got wrong. And then obviously the Browns, who I had as potential to be in the wild card. I'd say for the sake of argument, they get in, they replace the Jets in my wild card scenario. So basically, two of the three in the hunts, you know, Pittsburgh replaces Cincinnati, Cleveland replaces the Jets, and Houston would replace Jacksonville as the three teams that I got wrong in the AFC picture. I did have Cincinnati making it out of the AFC. I did have Baltimore getting to the Final Four against Cincinnati. I had Miami getting to the Final Four against Kansas City. So I had Miami and Kansas City as a playoff matchup. It just happened in the wildcard round versus my prediction in the divisional round. Uh, so, again, I think if Joe Burrow was healthy, the game would have changed. It probably would have been Cincinnati against Kansas City in the AFC Championship game again. But Joe Burrow being hurt opened the door for the Baltimore Ravens. Let's get to the NFC East. So my Eagles, their over-under was a one and a half. I had them at 13 and four. Obviously, it looked so good at the start of the year. Then, obviously, they completely fell off. And I did not blame Nick Sirianni for the collapse. The decision to bring in Matt Patricia was a bad one. That's on Sirianni. But from what all the players have said, it was not a Sirianni issue. It was a buy-in from people that, you know, 
may have gotten paid or it was just a grind. And the Eagles have learned the Super Bowl hangover happens to everybody. Uh, whether it's the Chiefs or Niners that lose next weekend, it will happen. Uh, I said if there's a team that can avoid it, it would be Philly because of the fact that they had all these weapons. They added in the draft with Jalen Carter, who had such a good start to the year. And obviously all the Georgia guys that they drafted. Uh, you know, the offensive line was still really good. PFF ranked them the number one team in the National Football League. They got older, I would make an argument, as the season went on. The defense was not as good, obviously, since Coach Pencil took over the team. But this team still has a lot of optimism going into next year. I think that Kellen Moore and Vic Vangio as the two coordinators were both excellent hires by Sirianni. Kellen Moore will put Jaywood Hurts a little bit more under center. They will run the football a little bit more than they did this past season. And I think A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, the weapons they have uh, will still be excellent. I can make an argument Philly needs to go out of free agency and secure that number three option because, you know, whether it was Zacchaeus or Quez Watkins or even Julio Jones, they never solidified that number three wide receiver position. Defensively, James Bradbury needs to go. I would keep Darius Slay at this point. I like the young safeties of, of Reed Blankenship, Cindy Brown. I think Evan Byard, if you wanted to move into slot corner and put Maddox potentially opposite of Slay, you could do that. Defensive line, Brandon Graham's coming back. You still have Jalen Carter. You still have Jordan Davis. You still have Josh Sweat. You still have uh, Milton Williams. You still have Hassan Ruddick. We'll see if Fletcher Cox comes back. It sounds like it's not going to be the case. Uh, but, you know, if the Kobe Dean comes back at linebacker, I think for Philadelphia, the focus in the draft and free agency needs to be on corner linebacker and getting that third wide receiver to get them back to Super Bowl level. Now, Dallas, I had them hitting the over-under of 10.5. I had them hitting the over I said Mike McCarthy let go of one-time offensive coordinator Cohen Moore because he wants to run the ball more. I said I don't want that philosophy in 2023 football, but Dallas is still as good as Philadelphia's. Dak Prescott's a B2B plus QB. CeeDee Lamb's a top-down wide receiver. Micah Parsons, defensive player of the year candidate. Trayvon Diggs, before he went down, top 10 quarter in the game. QB, receiver, edge, corner. And obviously the development of Deron Bland made up for the Trayvon Diggs injury. Those four positions Dallas is excellent at. And to go with a good offensive line, those are the five positions you need to win games in the NFL in 2023. We all know Dallas is a ceiling of the divisional round. Obviously they got pummeled by Green Bay in the wildcard round. The additional Brandon Cook, Stephon Gilmore are nice pieces. They're not needle movers. All the way Dallas finishes somewhere between 10 and 12 wins, which again, they did get 12 wins, and they stole the division from Philadelphia at the end of the year. But I said it's going to be a rinse and repeat from a year ago, which essentially is what it was, and Jerry Jones brought back Mike McCarthy. And the Cowboys are going to be rinse and repeat once again. They lose Dan Quinn to Washington, um, and, you know, We'll see who they hire as defensive coordinator, but until Dallas makes a game-changing move, they are basically the same team. The Commanders. I said the crazy part about them is they do have a foundation, right? Uh, Eric Bieniemy to control the offense and offensive coordinator. 
Terry McCorn, Curtis Samuel, Dodson, and receiver. Two decent backs, Antonio Gibson uh, and Brian Robinson. But I said, Sam Ow is going to be the detriment of this team. We know the NFL is a QB-driven league. Rivera's old school, run the ball, play defense philosophy, uh, I think would hold the team back. And I said six wins would be it. I was obviously wrong on that. They obviously got worse. And Sam, I believe they got three or four wins. Their over-under was six and a half. I said take the under on it. Uh, Sam, oh, is not the answer. And obviously, Eric Bianami is not the answer because Dan Quinn is now the head coach of the Commanders. And they have the second overall pick in the draft. And it looks like, to me, Drake May is going to be the choice. Now, when we get to the Bears, we'll talk about this. But if Caleb Williams does not want to play for the Chicago Bears, which I think is a very real possibility, the commanders, there is a chance here, wind up with the stars to the kid out of, out of USC who played his area or played his high school football, excuse me, in the Washington, D.C. slash Maryland area. I think the Commanders would be a good fit for them. And again, they have the weapons. They have a pretty good, decent offensive line. And it seems like Washington now, with new ownership, they are taking a page out of the Houston Texans playbook. They're going to get a young quarterback with a sharp-minded defensive coach with what they hope will be a star-studded OC to mend the offense while the defensive head coach controls the defense. Because they did get rid of Chase Young. Uh, and they did get rid of Montez Sweat at the trade deadline. But they still have Deron Payne. They still have Jonathan Allen. They need to work on, obviously, quarterback, secondary, offensive line. And Washington, who always gives Philly trouble. They always give, you know, Dallas a little bit of trouble here and there. It's either the Giants or the team they cannot beat. I think Washington, depending on what they do in the draft, could be a viable team, like a 6-7 win team next year. The Giants. Now, what Brian Dable did with Tommy DeVito midway for the year was incredible because I picked them only win three games. I said, Daniel Jones is not the guy. Their over-under was 7.5. I said, easily take the under, and I was right on that. I said, Dable was a good coach. The Giants are going back to the basement. Now, they finished third because the commanders were a disaster. But the Giants are not very good, and they paid Daniel Jones $40 million, and they're probably not going to bring back um, Saquon Barkley. So they're a disaster, in my opinion. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. So San Francisco, and this is where the hot takes are going to start, right? Because even without a signal caller, the Niners roster is still one of the best in the NFC. Keyword, easily, without a signal caller. We've seen the Bay Area have success with numerous QBs over the years, and it doesn't matter whether it's Mr. Rowan or the number three pick in the 2018 NFL draft. They're going to win a lot of games. And Brock Purdy, this is what it all comes down to for the Niners. In order to beat Kansas City, in order to win the Super Bowl, it's not going to really matter what Nick Bosa does. It's not going to really matter what the defense does. It's all going to matter about how Brock Purdy plays. Kansas City is going to score. It's 2020 NFL football. They may not be as explosive as they were last year. They may only put up 20 to 24 points, but they're going to score. And in five of eight NFL quarters this postseason, I can make a very strong argument that um, Jordan Love and Jared Goff outplayed 
Brock Purdy in playoff games. I can make a very strong argument that out of the four teams left in conference play weekend, Brock Purdy played like the worst quarterback in all four of those teams throughout the season and in the postseason. Yet here they are. Can he make the play in the game to win the Niners the Super Bowl? Seattle. I said that last year, I predicted that they would tag and get into the Bryce Young sweepstakes. But then Geno Smith does that to resurrect his career and takes the out of the postseason in the franchise's first season pros Russell Wilson. I thought this year the expectations were to improve on the foundation that Pete Carroll built a year ago. And I love the first-round picks. Devin Witherspoon out of Illinois. Jackson Smith and Jigba out of Ohio State. And I said, with a weak NFC and a pretty good roster that featured DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Kenneth Walker, here's the key. If Geno Smith does not revert back to the QB he was early in his career with the Jets, Seattle should be a playoff team, but I don't see them overtaking San Francisco for the division. And yet, Geno Smith reverted back at the end of the year to what he was back in his Jets days, and the Rams were way better than we all thought, and now Pete Carroll is no longer the head coach for the Seahawks, and Mike McDonald is. Uh, now, I was surprised they went with a defensive-minded head coach, even though they went with the opposite of what Pete Carroll was. Pete Carroll was obviously the older coach in the NFL, and he was big on energy. Uh, Mike McDonald, though, is the youngest head coach in the NFL, and he's going to get that defense back on track because they do have two good corners, but they need a better pass rush, and they were, you know, the worst pass defense the last two years under Pete, even though he was a defensive-minded head coach. I love the weapons. Again, Kenneth Walker, Zach, Zach Charbonnet, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Jackson Smith, and Jigma. You know, Cross, Abraham, the two tackles are very good. What is Seattle going to do at the quarterback position? Again, this is very similar to what Washington could do and what Houston did last year. Does Seattle trade up? Do they go after a Bo Nix or a Michael Penix? I think they have a great roster that, you know, a team like, you know, I don't know, the Chargers who could use some defensive personnel. Do Seattle give up a defense? Do they give up a Noah fan? Chargers need a tight end to go, which, by the way, Seattle got in the Russell Wilson trade. To go get a quarterback to compete with San Francisco and the Rams in Arizona. Kyler Murray is going to be better. We assume they're going to get uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. That offense should change overnight with that move. So Seattle needs to go get a quarterback. I like their roster. Mike McDonald's success will depend on what they do at the quarterback position. Okay, the Rams. They were the team the NFL fan base seems to be divided on the most this year. Some thought they were going to rebound from their disastrous season, while some think they're destined for another horrific season. This is what I said about the Rams. And this was true, by the way, the whole season. When you can only name Aaron Donald on the defense without looking up names, they were supposed to struggle. Uh, the offensive line was average at best. Kyron Williams came in and basically, you know, became the starting running back over to Cam Akers overnight. Cooper Cup was getting older. Aaron Donald was getting older. Matthew Stafford was getting older. Yet with McVeigh, Stafford, Cup, Donald, the four key pieces, edge rusher, quarterback, receiver, they made everything else work, and they were one of the best teams in the NFL down the stretch. Their over-under was six and a half. They easily hit it. Now, I had them at seven and ten, but I had them again at hitting the over. I did not think they were going to be terrible because I thought their schedule was manageable. 
but I thought their defense would be the ones holding them back because I thought they'd have to get into a lot of shootouts. But, you, you know, they are one of those teams now that, again, they did not have, um, you know, first-round pick for seven years. Now, I did say, this is interesting, right? But could Stenton Bennett steering the ship by season 10? I was completely wrong on that. I had them moving on Matthew Stafford at the, at the end of the year. I thought trading Aaron Donald, who's talked about retiring a lot, could cover the trade deadline, you know, if if they wanted to tank and go get a quarterback. I could have seen the Rams getting in to the Caleb Williams, Drake May sweepstakes. Oh, like Tampa Bay, right? If the season started off slow, do you just move off everybody? But the season did not start off slow. And in a weak NFC, you have veterans. You're going to win a lot of games. The Rams are going to be a very similar team. I suspect them to use against some of that free agency money. Now, I know that they have a lot of money invested in Stafford Cup and Donald, but and Puka Nakua has obviously emerged as a great wide receiver. They need a little more improvement on the offensive line and in the secondary to get back to where they need to be next year. Now, Arizona. I thought they were going to completely tank and go all in on Caleb Williams and get rid of Kyler Murray. They started off the season so bad, and it looked like they were going to. But Kyler Murray came back. And I said, if Arizona had won one game, or, you know, Quentin Toon or whoever the quarterback was going to be, Josh Dobbs at the time, if they did not look, you know, competitive in those games, if they did not beat Dallas early in the year, I think you could have made an argument Arizona would have moved off Kyler Murray. But they did look competitive. Kyler Murray did bring juice to their offense. They did win a lot of games, including at Philly. Uh, wait in the year, and they stayed competitive with San Francisco waiting in the year for most of the game. I think Arizona is saying, we have a lot of draft picks here. We need to give Kyler Murray a lot of weapons, but Jonathan Gannon likes continuity. And if we have Kyler Murray, which Trey McBride, if they got rid of Zach Ertz, and McBride, you know, as, as became, um, you know, a star-studded tight end, we give him Marvin Harrison Jr., who becomes our next DeAndre Hopkins, our next Larry Fitzgerald, and instantly becomes a number one wide receiver. We've seen what adding number one wide receivers do to change life uh, in the National Football League. Uh, you know, whether it's Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, whether it is, you know, Jalen Ertz and A.J. Brown, whether it was Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins. You get a number one wide receiver in the NFL, you can get very good very quickly. If Kyler is that guy and stays healthy, they have a lot of pieces in that war trust to sort of fix their secondary. I think they need a whole new secondary. They need a whole new pass rush. Their offensive line is better, not perfect. Maybe you get another running back to replace James Conner. Maybe they draft another wide receiver. Like I think Arizona can go out. They can spend some money. They can use the draft and rebuild this thing in a year or two if they hit on the right picks. Detroit, I had them at 10 and 7. I said they're in weird territory because for the first time in my lifetime, which was 1998, they are favored to win the division. I said that talent on the offensive side of the ball is not a question. Jared Goff is arguably a top three quarterback in the NFC. Two good running backs, David Montgomery, the addition of Jameer Gibbs, Amon Ross St. Brown, Josh Reynolds, Jameson Williams, Marvin Jones. Their offense, I said, was special with Ben Johnson leading the way. The defense out of the ball was a different story, and we all know how the season ended for the Detroit Lions. 
We know what their mission is for the offseason, right? Get a couple corners, get a pass rusher outside of Aiden Hutchinson. Offensive line is going to be there for years to come. Penasul is leading the way. He's going to be an all-pro, whether it's at right tackle or if he eventually moves to left tackle. And if you remember the debate between the Lions and Bengals dating back to the 2021 draft between uh, Penay Sewell and Jamar Chase, Cincinnati obviously chose Chase. Sewell went the next pick to Detroit. I think it worked out for both sides. Again, Lions, they need to get new defensive pieces. Aaron Gwen, it sounds like he's going to be back. Uh, ben Johnson, we know he's going to be back as the OC. That is a major piece. When you have a team trying to compete for a Super Bowl, like the Bengals did, you know, two years ago uh, when they went up against Kansas City, and what Detroit did here when they went up against San Francisco, as we saw with Philadelphia this past year, losing both your coordinators could be detrimental, and it could have been a possibility for the Lions. Uh, both Aaron Glenn and Ben Johnson, it sounded like Ben Johnson was the choice for the Commanders until he bowed out. Then they, then they were interested in uh, Aaron Glenn. They ended up going with Dan Quinn. But for Detroit, uh, they are now in prime position, I think, to go back next year and do some really good things. Now, the schedule is harder, but there's only going to be two games next year that they could potentially play in very cold weather. That being at Chicago and at Green Bay. And if they get them both early in the season, Detroit could be a massive favorite, in my opinion, going into next year in the NFC. Now, Minnesota. I like them at nine wins, but I said I did not know what to think of them, right? They won 11 one possession games in 2022. Kirk Cousins is a good receiver. Jordan Addison should work as a wide receiver because the Vikings just know how to draft receivers. I said it does remain to be seen if Alexander Madison can truly be the RB1 Delvin Cook was, which Alexander Madison was not. Uh, and obviously Justin Jefferson got hurt. And Kirk Cousins got hurt. Yes, they won, you know, a ton of games, whether it was with Nick Mullins or Josh Dobbs at the quarterback position. But the story here is, obviously they have very good offensive talent. They need to decide what they do with Kirk Cousins. They're not going to be in position to go up and get a quarterback unless they trade some pieces, which they don't have a lot on the defensive side of the ball to give. I think Brian Flores did an adequate job with what he was given on the defensive side. So I can see the Vikings. It sounds like they're not in love with bringing Kirk Cousins back, but the locker room loves him. I said they're going to win anywhere between 8 and 10 games. I think they finished, you know, 7 and 10, 8, 9. Again, a lot of that had to do with the Kirk Cousins injury. Uh, Vikings are a weird team. TJ Hawkins is the next one tight end. Jordan Addison's a great receiver. So is Jefferson. They have great weapons, a pretty good offensive line. What will they do with that defense? And what will they do with the quarterback position? Here we go. Chicago. They are one of those interesting teams in the entire NFL. They were last year. They will be again this year. Justin Fields entering this year. In 25 starts, he was 5-20. and 20. He had a 60% completion percentage. And DJ Moore should have helped with that. I said, is there a world? Fields is a Josh Allen, J1 Hurts type pop, you know, where he wins the MVP. I said, yes. I said, is there a world where they're looking for a new head coach and a new quarterback? I said, yes. Is there a world where Fields shows progress but not quite a pop and the Bears are still unsure they have their guy? Yes. 
All of the above is why the team with the number one overall pick in the 2023 draft traded it to Carolina. It's fascinating. Could DJ Moore beat Justin Fields' AJ Brown? His Devon Diggs, his DeAndre Hopkins, I talked about. Yes, yes, yes. The difference between those situations and Fields, Fields has a defensive-minded head coach in Matt Eberflus, where obviously Arizona, Philly, Buffalo, or Arizona and Philly had offensive coaches, and Buffalo had a star-studded OC in Brian Dable. The Bears' OC is Luke Getze, who, by the way, right now is not employed. I thought the Bears' defense would be good. Tremaine Edmonds and TJ Edwards made the difference because Matt Eberflus is a very good defensive mind. I said a great Fields could win Chicago the North. But I'm predicting a better but not amazing season from Fields. Chicago hovers around 500, which, by the way, they finished 7-10. and 10. Um, So here's the deal with the Bears. If I was running the Bears, obviously they brought back Matt Eberflus. It sounds like they're going to draft Caleb Williams, though, understandably. There is a lot of concern for Caleb in Chicago. Or there's a lot of concern from Caleb's camp about the Chicago Bears. If I was the Bears, I would have started off completely fresh. Got rid of Matt Eberflus. I'm trading Justin Fields, which, by the way, for the record, I think the Atlanta Falcons are the fit for the what should be the former single caller in Chicago. I have DJ Moore. I have Cole Komet, who's a very good tight end. They obviously need to go out. Khalil Herbert's on a great running back. They need to replace him. Offensive line, they could use, you know, a left guard, a couple of guards. Defensively, they're pretty good. But I would have went out and I would have hired a Bobby Sloak from the Houston Texans. And I would have went all in on offense. I would have shown Caleb Williams, we're going to get you an offensive minded coach. We're going to fix the offensive line. We're going to go get another receiver opposite of DJ Moore in free agency to pair with him and Cole Command. We are going to embrace the offense side of the football. The Bears remind me a lot of the Steelers, right? Defensive-minded, old, tough, culture, win six, seven games, be proud of it because we cannot embrace the offensive position. The Chicago Bears have never had a franchise quarterback. And so this is the situation for Chicago. They're bringing back Matt Eberflus, who I believe will be a lame duck here. Their offensive coordinator is Shane Waldron, who I do like. I don't know if he's special because we saw in Seattle he wasn't that special with Geno Smith. I think he's good. I don't think he's great. If you draft Caleb Williams, this could be a position where next year he starts off with a whole new staff. If you keep Justin Fields, though, a year from now, and the quarterback prospects in next year's draft are not as generational as this year's draft, you're going to have to pay what I believe is an average to just a slight above-average quarterback in the National Football League. I think Chicago needs to be grown-ups. They need to look at the situation. They need to see how quick Jordan Love popped once he finally got to play with an offensive line of that coach. How quick Jared Goff popped once he got the right offensive coordinator in Ben Johnson in their own division. The Vikings, Kevin O'Connell is a very smart offensive coach. He won games with Josh Dobbs, Nick Mullins, and Kirk Cousins this year. You have the only defensive coach in your division. That is what is going to hold you back. Unless Kayla Williams is completely special like Andrew Luck was when he came out of Stanford and led Chuck Pagano and those Indianapolis Colts. I think in today's NFL, it's never been easier to score. And the Bears have struggled with offense my whole life. It's going to be fascinating to see what they do 
Again, if I was the Bears, I'd get rid of Justin Fields. I'd see if I can get a first from Atlanta. If not, a second-round pick would do. I'm drafting Caleb Williams, and who knows? Maybe they have more draft capital. Maybe they move up in the draft, and they go get another receiver for him to work with. Uh, but that Carolina pick is a blessing in disguise. For Green Bay, and I've told you guys this multiple times, I can't stop thinking about how at Utah State, Jordan Love was in the Miami Beach Bowl to my Altamire, the Kent State Golden Flashes. Five months later, they traded up for Jordan Love. Devontae Adams is in Vegas now, the offensive line middle of the pack. Their skill position pieces outside of running back with Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon are replaceable, mediocre. I did not love Dobbs. I did not love Christian Watson. I did not love J Jaron Reed. I did not think Jordan Love was the guy. I said if he was ready to replace Aaron, they would have done it a year ago. Devontae Adams wanted out. Green Bay was ready to admit they should have moved on from number 12. I thought it was a year of being underachieving bottom dwellers for the Chiefs heads, who I thought they would have a plan to replace Jordan Love going into the offseason. I said they weren't going to be as bad to keep Gabe Williams or Drake May, so therefore they were irrelevant and are, were about to be stuck in purgatory. This is the example of where Brandon was wrong. This was one of my major misses of the season. I looked right in October. On Halloween, Matt before basically said Jordan Love could not play. And then they went into the bye week. And for whatever reason, the offense started to click. And once they got Aaron Jones back, Jordan Love became a completely different quarterback. And I would argue down the stretch of the year, not only was he a top 10 quarterback, but arguably a top 5 quarterback, only throwing one interception throughout the regular season, the back half of the season. And Green Bay got on a roll, and they beat Kansas City, and they beat Detroit on Thanksgiving. And they got into the playoffs of beating Chicago, and they mollywhopped Dallas, and they had San Francisco in their grasp. This is one of the youngest teams in the NFL, only getting better. And I'm excited for the outlook of Green Bay. And again, if Chicago fixes themselves and the Vikings, we all thought was better, all of a sudden, the NFC South should be very interesting. Or excuse me, the NFC North should be very interesting in 2024. Okay, I'm just going to say it up front. The NFC South, I got completely wrong. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on Carolina because I whiffed. I thought Bryce Young was going to be special. I thought Frank Reich was going to be special. I thought they were going to build on something. I have them winning the division at 8-9. Complete whiff. I did have the Saints at 8 wins. I think they finished around there, you know, 7-8 wins. I had Atlanta finishing with 5 wins. They have Raheem Morris now as their new head coach. I said I did not trust Desmond Ritter. I did not trust Arthur Smith. And then I had Tampa at 3-14. And, and this is what I said about Tampa, even though I had the record completely wrong about Tampa. I said, I think Tampa will be bad enough to draft Caleb Williams, but Drake May may be in play, and Tampa wants to hit the reset button after Tom Brady. I just did not think the reset button would be Baker Mayfield. I said, Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, Shaq Barrett, Via Vail, Monte David. These guys are all talented. Tampa could win a lot of games. But if Tampa wants to embrace the full tank because they should not believe Baker Mayfield is the full answer quarterback, which I still believe that, even though Dave Canales, obviously the new head coach of the Carolina Panthers, did wonders for 
Baker Mayfield last year. Will Baker Mayfield regress and will Tampa Bay be back in this situation a year ago? That is the question. I thought B. John Robinson was going to be the fantasy football player of the year for um, Atlanta. I thought he was going to be abused the way Christian McCaffrey was in San Francisco. Then I forgot how bad Arthur Smith was at being a head coach of the Atlanta Falcons. So they were obviously a disaster. The Saints, I did not trust. I said Derek R. was an upgrade over what they had, but I don't think Michael Thomas is going to say oh, the And I said Dennis Allen is one of the worst head coaches in the history of the week. They're in purgatory. They need a new quarterback. They need a new head coach. They need a complete brand reset, and we're not going to get it from the New Orleans Saints. So in the NFC, my playoff teams were Philly, San Francisco, Detroit, Carolina. Wow, once again, that was one of my biggest misses of the whole year. Dallas, Seattle, Minnesota. So here were the replacements. I hit Philly, San Fran, Detroit, and Dallas. That's, again, four of the seven. Tampa replaces Carolina in the NFC South. Green Bay replaces Minnesota as the wild card in the NFC North. And the Rams replace Seattle as the wild card in the NFC West. Uh, the NFC Championship game, I did have Dallas, who I thought would finally get over the hump against San Francisco against Philadelphia. Obviously, it turned out to be San Fran against Detroit, who I did have Detroit in a playoff game, but I had them losing at home to the Seattle Seahawks. I thought the Lions were going to take more baby steps than a huge step. So NFC, I missed, I would argue, more than the AFC. Again, it was a lot harder to predict the NFC due to the lack of quarterbacks. I completely whipped on the NFC South. I completely whipped on Jordan Love. Uh, Philadelphia's collapse at the end of the year really hurt me. Seattle not being as good hurt me. The Rams were better than I thought they would be. Arizona towards the end of the year was better than I thought they would be. So without having the star-studded quarterbacks in the NFC more than the AFC, the NFC was harder to predict. Now, with all of these young quarterbacks we assume that are going to come into this league next year, whether it is Seattle or the Commanders or who knows, maybe the, you know, obviously Chicago, who knows, maybe the Giants come in and grab a quarterback. The NFC may be easier to predict next year once we know the quarterbacks. But I think Tampa losing Dave Canales is going to hurt them. We'll see what Atlanta does at the quarterback position, obviously. We'll see what Minnesota does at the quarterback position. So things could be changing in the NFC. But I thought overall, in a micro level, did I miss on a lot of spots in the standings and game-by-game winners? Yes. But in the macro level, I hit a ton on the year during the 2023 NFL season. And I hope you enjoyed this recap. Let me know what you thought of my analysis of your team. Give me your outlook on your team or even all 32 teams as we head into the 2024 NFL offseason. The Rock versus Roman Reigns is now the main event of night two of WrestleMania. And you can see the sign right there if you're watching on YouTube. The Rock is here to acknowledge the Tribal Chief. Yes, he is. People are pissed, but I'm here to explain why this was the right decision, in my opinion, by the WWE. 
Listen, the WWE is all about business, and the WWE has been in a lot in the news for a lot of reasons this week, including obviously the Netflix deal with Monday Night Raw, the Vince McMahon TKO allegations. But following the Royal Rumble, which Cody Rhodes won the Royal Rumble and appointed to the sign, something else happened in the Royal Rumble. CM Punk got injured. And when CM Punk got injured, and obviously with the Brock Lesnar allegations going on with Vince McMahon and TKO, it completely changed the WWE WrestleMania 40 plan. And as I mentioned, WrestleMania 40 is going to be the most viewed WrestleMania of all time from Lincoln Financial Field, the home of the Philadelphia Eagles, April 6th, April 7th, 2024, streaming live on Peacock. It is the 40th anniversary of the greatest spectacle in all of entertainment. You need your biggest match possible. And no disrespect to Cody Rhodes, who a lot of people I know, they love him, the kids on the fans on, they want to finish a story, and everybody is tired of the tribal chief. There's a reason why. When Roman Reigns enters the arena, there is an aura about him. There's a reason why Roman Reigns is going to break Hulk Hogan's record, as I predicted, next September. There is a reason why, as I predicted right here on this podcast, that Roman Reigns defeated Cody Rhodes at WrestleMania 39. Because, folks, you're not paying attention to the storyline. You're not paying attention. You're, you're doing your heart over your head. Roman Reigns is that guy. He is the guy. He is the needle mover. There's a reason why SmackDown gets record ratings on Fox when he is on their program. There is a reason why merchandise sales, he is still top three in all merchandise categories. There's a reason why people talk about Roman Reigns. There's a reason why he buried Seth Rollins. There's a reason why the World Championship was created in the first place. And as Michael Cole said at the Royal Rumble, if you're mad about Roman Reigns being champion, beat him. Because Cody Rhodes and finished the story as Cody Rhodes eloquently said on SmackDown Friday night. It's not just about taking the championship that his father never held. It's about taking down Roman Reigns' family. So is Sokoa, Jimmy Uso, Paul Amon. There's a reason why he moved Jey Uso to Monday Night Raw. Cody Rhodes wants to end Roman Reigns. Because Cody Rhodes knows in order to be that guy Roman Reigns has to fight everybody, including his own family. And finishing the story for Cody is winning the WWE Championship. As I always argue, it is not defending the championship. Now, by the way, why am I not upset about this? Because, again, it's about box office. It's about making matches. And The Rock versus Roman Reigns is already being talked about all over social media, being picked up by outlets, not in WWE. I have casual fans who are not wrestling fans. Texting me saying, what's the deal with The Rock being back in WWE? That reaction from the audience saying, holy shit, and this is awesome on SmackDown, is the reason why you do this match. There's a reason why when I did my fantasy booking for WrestleMania 40, I did not put Cody Rhodes anywhere near this match. There's a reason why I booked this match for the night to WrestleMania. There's a reason why I booked Cody Rhodes in a random-ass Philadelphia street fight. Six-man tag with the Judgment Day and Drew McIntyre with Sami Zayn and R-Truth and The Miz and an eight-man tag team match, excuse me. Because we've seen this, right? We've seen Daniel Bryan go from WrestleMania 30, main event, to next year being opening as the Intercontinental Champion and retiring two years later. Roman Reigns' championship reign is such a historic run. You need to find the next generation, the guy 
whether it's Braun Breaker or somebody like that, to eventually end the story and become the pedestal, the face of the company. I think Cody Rhodes is great. I don't think he has the marketing power of John Cena. And I think that because Cody Rhodes was the son of Dusty, but then he also left WWE. And that's the problem. Cody Rhodes, yes, he's come back. Yes, he's been won by the fans. Yes, he's their biggest baby face right now. But he's technically not a WWE guy, right? He got all that over in AEW. And every time they're in the ring, whether it's last year, promos leading up to WrestleMania 39, whether it's Friday Night on SmackDown, Roman Reigns tops Cody Rhodes on the microphone in every metric, in my opinion. Cody's great. I like Cody. I like what he does. I think he's a good soldier. I think him winning the tag team does with Jey Uso was great. It's picking the guy to dethrone Roman Reigns. I thought Jey Uso was going to be that guy three years ago. I think him and Seth Rollins having another program with the way Roman dished Seth Rollins on SmackDown is fantastic. I talked about we need Roman Reigns versus Randy Orton again. We need Roman Reigns against AJ Styles. We need Roman Reigns versus LA Knight number two. We need the Roman Reigns solo Sokoa battle to finally take place, which absolutely needs to be for the Undisputed Universal Championship. All that to happen. Roman Reigns needs to be the champion. And now, you know, Cody Rhodes, will he pick Seth Rollins at WrestleMania? Probably. And that could be a good story for Rollins to finally overcome Cody Rhodes, the man who he could not beat in 2022. Couldn't beat him with a broken peck inside out of a cell. But Rollins can say that was a different time. I'm a different man. I need to prove that this one of the championship is the working title. Then once Rollins retains, Damian Priest can cash in the money in the bank due to Rollins, what Rollins did at WrestleMania 31 and steal the Waterweight Championship at the end of night one with Damian Priest on top. Then you can do a Priest-Rollins program. You can do a Priest-Bauer program, a Priest-Cody Rhodes program. There's a lot of different options to go here, folks. If you're upset about Cody Rhodes not finishing his story, you are a fan versus a booker. As Triple H once said, it's very hard to book this shit. And you not only have to book for what the fans want, but you have to book money. And you have to book power. And Rock and Roman Reigns is star power. And this is the one opportunity they had to do this match, in my opinion. The biggest stage. WrestleMania 41 in Minneapolis is going to be terrific. It's not the 41st anniversary. It's not the WrestleMania. It's not WrestleMania 40, the big show. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, uh, Ark or Brook, our wrestling town, Rock Roman Reigns. I thought it was the right decision. You can make the argument the wrong decision was if Cody Rhodes win the Royal Rumble because that should have gone to CM Punk. And I'm sorry, I don't care what Dave Meltzer and the IWC say. I believe the plan might have been Punk wins the Rumble. And once Punk got hurt, Punk called an audible because Punk knew he was injured. Because CM Punk versus Seth Rollins. And The Rock versus Roman Reigns was the two matches I would have booked at WrestleMania. It sounds like they were going to book Roman Cody night two, which I said, if that does happen, Roman needs to retain again for the reason I just outlined. Now, next year, Cody Rhodes can go back. He can enter the Royal Rumble at number one for all I give a damn. He can go for all the superstars. Finally get eliminated by CM Punk. Have to go for the Elimination Chamber to get to Roman Reigns again at WrestleMania 41 and maybe even lose again. Because finishing the story is what Cody Rhodes' character will be for the rest 
of his WWE career. John Cena was the superhero, right? Took down all the bad guys. Roman Reigns is the guy, the ultimate villain, the guy that's carrying the company. Cody Rhodes' character is finishing his story. He'll be the last one to finish his story. CM Punk will get to main event WrestleMania before Cody Rhodes finishes his story. I'm not here to bury Cody. That's just the reality of me as a WWE fan, as a wrestling fan, as a fan of the Tribal Chief, as a fan of the Rock, as a fan of this match. I'm sorry for all you that are disappointed. This was the right decision. And with that, we're going to wrap up a massive Brandon's World on this Tuesday, February 6, 2024. Thank you for listening. Once again, social media links are in the description below. We are in collaboration with Voltage Live. Championship rings tonight. That YouTube channel is in the description below. When we come back on Thursday, I'll break down any more news we have, whether it's in WWE, NFL, NBA, with trade deadline coming up, etc. Plus, we preview Super Bowl 58 between the Chiefs and the Niners.